outsource to experts whenever possible. Whatever you don't need to be involved in, outsource to experts. Because if you don't have time and money to do it once, you for sure don't have time and money to do it twice. Hey everyone, this is Devin Miller here with another episode of The Inventive Journey. I'm your host, Devin Miller, the serial entrepreneur that's grown several startups into seven and eight figure businesses, as well as the founder and CEO of Miller IP Law, where we help startups and small businesses with their patents and trademarks. If you ever need help with yours, just go to strategymeeting.com and grab some time to chat. Now, today we have another great guest on the podcast, Heather Cox. And to give you a quick introduction to Heather, so she grew up in uh, Southern California, performed in a circus growing up, which sounds kind of interesting. And I don't know, I think we may have had one other person, at least, I think there were a circus rodeo or a a a circus clown in the rodeo, but close enough. But that's, I think, the first full circus person. Um, Parents uh, said not to, uh, to go to college or that, that uh, she shouldn't go to college and rather go take a year off and, and go to Spain, which was sounds like great parents came back and decided to go to uh, university of Austin or university of Texas in Austin and uh, majored in Spanish. Um, and then went into hospitality management for a period of time. Um, then uh, went back to California, went into recruiting and sales, took some time in Israel, uh, also met her husband, came back, got back into recruiting and sales, had some kids, asked uh, a lot of entrepreneurs questions and started a business, which is what she's doing today with uh, diversity certification. So hopefully I got most of that right. And with that, as much as an introduction, welcome on the podcast, Heather. Thanks. I just have to correct one thing. My parents were for sure making sure I went to college. They just okay. said, not this year. There was That's like, no cool. question if, it was where. <laughs> All right. So it wasn't that they said never go to college. Yeah, said, they, no, no. Just take a little bit more time to get ready. So. Yeah, my father would like roll over in his grave if he heard someone <laughs> say like, he didn't want me to go to college. <laughs> All right. It was a good correction. So. Well, thank, welcome on the podcast. So I just gave a quick 30-second introduction to a much longer journey. So maybe take us back a, a bit back in time to growing up in Southern California and how your life got started in the circus. So we moved from to Southern California when I was little. I was like four. I think my sister was two. And a couple of years in, it was a little town called Redlands, which is in the 909 to the 909 people. You know, we all stick together, the IE people over there. And um, we, there was a, a youth circus that had started in Redlands by a gentleman named Roy Coble, who, was, who created the circus for wayward boys to give them something to do to get off the streets. So, but then it expanded and it, you know, everyone kind of joined. And so when, we, when I was about six years old, my parents took us to the circus. And I was mesmerized. I mean, there was sparkly costumes and there was cool people floating through the air and there was like no there's no animals it's a very oh. european style circus yeah there's nice. no animals it was just <laughs> but it was kids like my age and they were like styling and they had the cool costumes and i was like dad i have to do this it's like you want to be in the circus I'm like uh-huh like there was like no question in my mind that i was gonna do this so they signed us up it was kind of like an after school instead of soccer or gymnastics we did circus and then my sister joined a couple years later when she was about six also. And we stuck with it until we graduated high school. So, you know, there was a couple years, we call them the dark years when um, the, it lost insurance. And so they couldn't perform. So they did, we had to get rid of some of the aerial acts. But, you know, my parents got very involved. They were president of the booster group. And so we were part of it our entire growing up. So we would go to school. We'd go to the, and we'd go to the Y for like four hours a day and, you know, and became like our other family. And so 
Um, we, you know, that was like what we did growing up. And then even in high school, we were both cheerleaders. My sister and I, I would did, I was did shot put and track. I wasn't very fast, but strong. So probably from all those years of holding people in the circus. And so, you know, we did all of that, but we still, afterwards we went over. And then uh, when we graduated high school, you know, I went to Europe to study Spanish for a year. And then I went, came back and went to the University of Texas at Austin. So yeah, the circus was amazing. And, you know, it's really interesting because I think that's why I'm not afraid to get on stage now when I speak at conferences and events, because I was on stage all the time growing up and it was kind of like a second nature thing for me. Hmm. Um, but I do not like heights at all, but the coolest acts are in the air. So I was like, I have to do this. And so in my head, it was like 50 feet in the air. I think it was like 10 in reality, but when you're six or seven, it's really, I seem really hot and I would cry every single practice. I did not want, they like, what's, what's called swinging baseballs or swinging wise. And we would swing back and forth and you lay back and I would cry every single practice. And then they said, they had cuts. This is back in the day when they actually made kids like actually have cuts for things. Like if you weren't good enough, you got cut. Not like today when you get a trophy for losing, <laughs> so, which my kids don't do, by the way. So um, I'm right there with you. I, I don't, yeah. I'm not a fan of participation trophies. No, no, no. There's a, there's a reason for winners and losers. Like, you know what I'm saying? Yep. Like, you have to be good. It teaches good sportsmanship. Like that's a whole different podcast in itself. But that is a whole different tangent. We can spend a much longer time. Oh, like going eight, back eight, eight hours. Yeah. So um, they said you either do it, you either do the tricks for the, you know, do the act, or you get cut. So mm -hmm. I was like, oh, you are not cutting me. So I did it, and so and I just did it. But then next year I would cry every practice again. It was like the dumb, the dumbest thing. But and my mom was there, and she's like, yeah, you got to do it, or you're not going to be in the act. That's the, like. There was no like, oh, my daughter's special. No, it was like, you either do it or you don't. That was like the extent of my mom's like prep, pep talk. <laughs> so now, so, so you, you do this, you know, you, so you get in the circus, you're successful, you're wonderful. Now I, I don't, maybe there's a career in the circus. I, are there still circus? Can I tell you? Yes. So, some of my, so then one summer um, after ninth grade or before ninth grade, we went to this thing called Circus Mercus back east. We did like a trade. So six of us or eight of us from our circus went and performed with this circus in New England, right? And so some, I'm still friends with some of those people. And some of them, they're like six figures walking a tightrope. I'm like, my parents totally lied to me. <laughs> but yeah, there are circus performers, but no, I was like going to go on. And, you know, I wanted to, so I went off to college or went to Europe, then went to college and I was going to do international hospitality because now I have this love of traveling. My, my mom and my parents have traveled their whole lives. Now, let me just jump in really quick. There's one because I got it wrong in the intro, but I th thought it was an interesting point. So I think when you, if and correct me where I'm wrong, yeah. when you're getting coming out of high school, your parents saying, we want you to go to college, but right yeah. now is not the right time. You need to go and maybe get or take a break for a year. Is that about right? Yeah. So I did apply. So I applied to a few schools. My dream school is University of Texas at Austin. And here's why it was my dream school. My father went there and which is not why it's my dream school. My father went there and he was like, you can go to any in-state school. The only out-of-state school I will help you with is the University of Texas at Austin. And I was like, I am out of here. So that was like my dream. <laughs> I wanted to go far away. That was my dream school. So yeah, but they were like, you know what? We're not really sure you're ready. I didn't get it into UT the first time I applied. It only has a 5% out-of-state acceptance rate at the time. And uh, so they said, you know, maybe you're not ready for college. You know, we don't want to pay all this money and then you just bail out. So we're going to send you to Spain for a year because that's the safest thing for a person who's not focused to do. <laughs> to send that's right. Let's, let's take a, a high school student that just graduated, hasn't gone to college yet, really hasn't been out on her own and send her to a different country and tell her just to go have a good time. Yeah, totally. So I did. <laughs> 
But I'll tell you, I learned so much that year, probably more than I learned in my four years in college, right? You learn a lot there. And I was in a place, I was in Sevilla in the South. There was not a lot of English speakers there. Not all my roommates, we, I lived in a house. That, that was like what they did for a living is they hosted all these foreign exchange students. And none of them, like, they all spoke like broken English. So we were speaking Spanish and I would hang out in the bars because when you're 18, you're like, this is super cool to hang out in the bars. I can't do that at home. And I just talk to people. And when you are, um, when you have uh, cushioned your fear of talking with by self-medicating <laughs> with what, sangria in Spain, you know, you're not afraid to make those mistakes and say the stupid things. And they laugh at you're like, that's not what you wanted to say. I guarantee it. But you know, you don't care and you learn. So my Spanish was, but not, I came back fluent. Basically I was dreaming in Spanish when I came back. So when I went to UC Austin, I started working in hotels and um, my Spanish came in handy, right? Cause you're at a front desk of a hotel. And I was like talking to all these, the guests and it was, I loved every second of working in a hotel. It was so, except for the fact that people kind of lose all sense of like normalcy when they go to a hotel, they'd be like, can you believe it's raining outside? I'm like, I'm really sorry. I'm not sure what to do about that. So now you came back, so you've had a great time and experience in uh, Spain and you, you know, learned a lot of things, got that experience, probably better than college, but then you did come back and you studied in college. I think you started in Spanish and then went into hospitality. Is that right? No, I was always, my, my degree was in Spanish, right? And so, and my minor was in French. And so I did a summer, I did a summer in France also. Um, but the whole time I worked at hotels, the entire time I worked. So, cause I had to support myself all through college. So I worked in hotels the entire time I was in college and I loved it. I loved the whole hospitality industry. My mom had been in travel my entire life. So I was like, yeah, I'm just going to do an international hospitality and I'll use my Spanish and my French and I'll live all over the world. And it was like amazing. And then 9-11 happened. Mm. So I'd already been accepted to an international um, hospitality school in Switzerland. And I even bought my big winter coat because, you know, in Southern California and in, in Texas, you don't really need those coats. And we were like all excited. And then everyone got a little scared. And I, don't, and I honestly don't remember why I didn't go to the school. I don't know if it was because I got scared. My parents got scared. Like the hospitality school pushed off the year. I can't remember why I didn't go, but I ended up going back home because I ended up getting laid off from the hotel. All the assistant managers in the hotel got laid off after 9-11 because no occupancy dropped way down. So I went home and that's when I ended up my, and my grandfather had passed away not too long before. So I ended up living with my grandmother and helping her out in the Valley in Southern California. And that's when I got into sales and recruiting just because I was like looking for a job and I went to interview at this recruiting place and they're like, you're fun. You want to work here? <laughs> That's a great way to find a job. Hey, just be the best yeah. or the funnest person in the room and you'll get hired. Totally. <laughs> so now, so you go in, you do the, you, you do the, uh, you know, you, you get hired on, you do that for a period of time. Now you switched and went into at some point to do recruiting and sales and then went to Israel. Is that right? Yeah. So after a little bit of time, I had like that I had recruited myself out into, into um, enterprise fleet sales. And I did that for a little bit. And then um, a company recruited me out to do some sales management for them for this like MLM type company. Mm. Um, but not, not like super MLM, just like sort of <laughs> MLM tangent, you know, tangential or whatever. So um, then my grandmother passed away and I was just kind of like, oh, I don't know, like, is this what I want to do? I had kind of started like learning more about my roots and my heritage and everything. And so I was like, and someone offered me a scholarship to go to Israel, right? So I was like, I think I need to find myself again. So off I went to Israel to go find myself at 20, whatever years old I was. 
So now, so you, <laughs> so you, you said, okay, I got a free scholarship. Why not go have another good, or, you know, a good time, do some learning along the way, see a different part of the country, exactly. go study there. And then you also met your uh, future husband or your spouse, right? Yeah. So my, um, we were actually set up from a matchmaker, but sort of because my really good, my roommate at the time, a really good friend of mine, she went on a date with him. She was set up with him from a matchmaker and she called me and she said, I went out with this guy. I did not like him, but I think you will. <laughs> That's always kind of sounds like, you know, when you're eating something, you're like, oh, this is horrible. Do you want to try we'll it? Try it. I know. I but... want to try something that is horrible, but it sounds like it was a good idea. Well, you know, it's really funny because she is a very uh, like specific, like her, she doesn't have to, I laugh at every, I'm an easy laugh. Like I love like to laugh at things. It's for me, it's very therapeutic. And I just, I find a lot of different things entertaining. She is like very in the box humor. Like you'll tell her a joke and she'll be like, I don't get it. <laughs> so, and my husband likes to be the funny guy. So mm-hmm. like, I can totally see them on a date. He was probably like, be like, waiting for her to laugh. And she's like, I don't, I, I don't get it. Or, I don't get it. Or if she's like, and that sounds like my mom, she's always like, I get it. It's just not funny. And you're it's like, just not oh, funny. It funny. Like it's, yeah. it's funny. Everybody else is laughing. <laughs> yeah. So he, then we went out and we're like, I'm like laughing. He's like, and then we even joked because on our first date, he even like, he saw some girl like in the lobby, we were like in a lobby of a hotel. It's like a typical Israel dating situation. And uh, I have to say lobby, because if you just say hotel, then it sounds a little bit more, <laughs> a little less um, above board, right? So, sure. um, and he was like, I think I know that girl. Do you mind if I can say hi? <laughs> like, okay. Like I tell people that story and they're like, oh my, that should have sealed the deal. Like you two knew you were meant to be together at that point in time. So anyway, so six weeks later, we got engaged and, um, and about, uh, 12 seconds later I was pregnant. So I was like, <laughs> let's, um, I did not want to give birth overseas in a country. I didn't speak the language. in, so we moved back to the U S when I was about five months pregnant. Hmm. And, and I still was like, what do I want to do? Because now I'm pregnant which, you know, is really like the best time to look for a job, by the way, is when you're obviously pregnant because people are super willing to hire you. <laughs> yeah, I can see that might be a bit of an issue, but no. That's- I mean, now, I like now that's like the best because there's no one looking for a job. So like, you're pregnant now, like you, go find a job. You can go get a job, no problem. They're just looking for someone to hire. So totally. Yeah. Right. Right. So, uh, so we came back and, um, we came back in 2008. Now, I don't know if you remember 2008 as an attorney, my husband's an attorney was not like the best time for attorneys who didn't have any real world experience yet. He'd like taken the bar and gone to Israel. So we expected, you know, like when we got married, we were like, yay, we'll go back. He'll get a legal job in New York and it'll be great. And then, and then two, no. Yeah. yeah no, so I actually, so I graduated 2013. Oh, okay. but even in, so I was going into law school about a year or 2009. I did a two degrees, but I remember even 2010 and 11, when my friends were coming out, a lot of those were still just like, yeah, there's just no jobs and it's right. slow and like nobody's hiring and everybody's waiting. And so by the time I graduated, luckily it caught up. But yeah. I definitely remember like a lot of people that were smart and great attorneys were still struggling to find jobs just because yeah. Of, of the 9-11 and, and the yes, and, then and, and, and then what happened was you know like there's all these attorneys with tons of experience taking entry-level positions and so then if you're really entry-level you couldn't yeah, get a job yeah. so it was like a little bit brutal for us like we're brand new brand new married he can't get like a real law job I'm pregnant looking for a job it was like super not stressful for newlyweds <laughs> and um I was working at this nonprofit and this and but I would I would tell everybody like if I need something I have no shame when I was looking to get married to I'm like 
I'm looking for a husband, I'm looking for a husband, I'm looking for, you know, whatever. So if I'm looking for a job, I'm, like, I'm looking for a job, I'm looking for a job, I'm looking for this, right? So I told everybody that I was looking for like another job. Like I needed some, we needed some more income. So I was, um, someone mentioned to me that these uh, two women were looking for something at the same time. I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. So I was like, let me just talk to them. Let me just start interviewing people. Cause I didn't know, I knew that corporate America wasn't great for mommies. Like it's, mm. you know, it's not always super flexible. And unfortunately kids like don't get sick on the weekend. They get sick Monday through Friday and nine to five. <laughs> Maybe it has something to do with school and not wanting to go and yeah. not feeling good on the weekend. I still want to play. Right. So, um, yeah. So I started meeting all these women and they were like these amazing entrepreneurs. Some are entrepreneurs, some are executives, whatever. But the entrepreneurs to me were amazing. They were just like, had all this energy and they were passionate. You could see like their type A personality coming through. And I love big personalities. I'm very attracted to big personalities. And so, but somehow in the conversation, they'd be like, and there's this application I have to get and I can't figure out how to do it. And I was like, what? You run like a $20 million company or you run like a 250,000 or whatever it is, you run a company and you can't do an application? What? So then I looked into it and, you know, what something it's very detail oriented. It's very time consuming. What something's called in New Jersey is not what it's called in Texas. It's not what it's called in California. So if you're looking for a document, that's not even called that in your state, right? Is it articles of incorporation or certificate of formation? Is it, you know, do you have, like, maybe you never, maybe your accountant did your, your formation. So you don't even have bylaws or an operating agreement or stock certificates, right? It happens all the time. So I was like, ah, uh, and this is even before I understood the massive pull on your time and your bandwidth as an entrepreneur. This is just, just general human difficulties, right? So, and most entrepreneurs like are not the most focused people. They're driven, right? But they're not good at, you know, like the paperwork, the detailed stuff, they're visionaries. And so they, you know, they have these big pictures, but they're not the workhorses necessarily. So um, my natural inclination is more of like a workhorse type person, right? So, which is why I like to partner with visionaries. And I've kind of grown into that visionary role a little bit throughout my last 12 years of being an entrepreneur. But, you know, in the beginning, I was very much just the workhorse. So that was like a perfect opportunity for me to say, let me do that project for you. Hmm. And now, so I did. I, I think when we chatted before, you even started out kind of just, I'll help you out. Or I'll do this as kind of one time yeah. gig and that. And then you started to build a little bit of referral base or reputation. Yep. And you started to actually say, there's an actual business opportunity around yes. here and I can actually, you know, create something. So as you're figuring that, you know, how did you go? How did you go about? Because, you know, today it is, is, is a little bit more, I don't know for the right words, in vogue or popular, you know, it's more important or emphasize or whatever the word you want to choose uh, to, you know, to have diversity training sort of certificates and to make sure that that's right. a focus of the business. But I would imagine, it's you know, that's, that's been more recent when you got started, you know, how did you, how did you get or, or get people to understand the importance? Well, so the, you know, the, the supply diversity world really started as an offshoot of the civil rights movement of the 60s. And it was like the 70s where it became like the, you know, corporate social responsibility. It was really more public sector though. The 80s was corporate social responsibility. It's the right thing to do. And it really wasn't until the 90s that people started seeing that, oh, wow, if I use diverse suppliers, they bring me into new demographics and in the, to the 2000s when it really became oh, this is a good business decision. So you are absolutely right. I had come into it when it was now starting to be seen as like a good business decision. But, you know, like NMSDC, which is the National Minority Supplier Development Council has been around for like 30, 30, 40 years. WeBank, which is the Women's Business Enterprise National Council has been around for over 20 years. So they had some, so I was very fortunate to meet one of these women 
that I spoke to who had already been certified. And she kind of took me under her wing as a mentor. And she introduced me to a lot of these large corporations who would then introduce me to suppliers. And then they just, everyone started telling each other. Like we really, until this year, did very little sales and marketing. It was all just word of mouth. And the first, you know, like seven years of the company was just me. It was just me doing it. And then I was like, Oh, I, well, well, the first five years, it was just me doing everything. Then I'm like, oh, I probably should build my customers. Huh? <laughs> so I, had, I had a bookkeeper, you know, which I wish I would have done way earlier. Mm. And then um, there, it, you know, and then we did, and then it kind of just kind of grew and grew and grew. And then about six years ago or so, the corporations realized that, you know, to have a conversation with your supplier and say, look, diversity is very important to us. We recognize you as a woman-owned business. We'd like you to get certified. Here's a resource. It's a very different conversation than, hey, we realize you're a woman-owned business and diversity is important to us. It's so important to us. We've retained a resource to support you. And so that conversation is a much more powerful stance for the corporations to take. And so that is, that's when they started going, oh, we can retain certify my company. And we started hiring. Now we're a team of five, but must be six. Um, and because we just like the corporations are now really realizing that it is a very powerful message. You know, it's one thing for you to tell your spouse, like, it's important for me for you to shower every day. I mean, I'm not going to. And I'm not going to pay for the hot water heater, but you should really shower. You right? should really consider it. No, I think there's yeah. that great. So, so now you've just said, okay, we you figured out your business opportunity. You figured out what, you know how to where to where you, where to focus on how to find the people, and you started to build a team, which is all exciting. So, oh, and it's the hardest part too. And, and the hard part, <laughs> but it's kind of fun, you know. It's always for me. It's always that getting the business going is also the most work, the most difficult, takes the most time. But then once you know, after a while, once you get the business established, it evolves and it changes. So you're no longer kind of figuring it out and coming up with the ideas and trying things out that you don't share work. Now it's kind of growing, and they're kind of different phases. So there's always kind of yes fun parts of each phase. But now as you're kind of making that transition, looking at the next kind of six to 12 months, kind of where do you see things, or see things heading? Right now. So right now I am very excited that we are moving back into in-person events because for us, in-person events are where I do the majority of my business development with the large corporations. I am much better in person than I am in Zoom. I am easily distractible. Plus, you know, my kid's school is a mile down the road. So if there's an issue and one of my kids has a lot of issues. So if there's an issue at school and they call me, they're like, Hey, you know, can you come pick your kid up or deal with the situation? And I'm like, I'm at a conference. They're like, no, you're a mile down the road. You need to come get your kid. But if I'm out of town, I'm like, I'm out of town. Call my husband. <laughs> so, you know, so that is a hard part for me. Also, like my phone rings, the team is calling me. Like I'm very easily distractible. I will always come back to what I'm doing. You know, I, I'm able to refocus, but it's just a matter of getting so easily distracted that I can't focus on the conversation as well. So I like these in-person events where I can go and talk to people and really demonstrate um, our passion for what we do. Cause I do think that is one of the biggest sellers is that, uh, what I love what I do. I get to work with entrepreneurs every single day. I get to work with diverse businesses every day. And if there's one shiny sequiny glitter of, of like, of, you know, rainbows and sunshine that came out of 2020 and this whole pandemic situation we've been in, I guess, 2021 now at this point is that people, but after 2020 people really saw how powerful and necessary small, diverse local businesses were to the economy. The reason everything was hit so hard is because the small, diverse local businesses were hit so hard, mm-hmm. right? No, so I, I think I that people saw that and they're like, oh, and corporations saw that. And then, you know, we had a lot of racial tensions at the same time. And so all of that confounded together, a lot of the corporations made very pu- public proclamations 
So I am looking forward to getting back to events, back on stage, back to meeting in person with our companies and doing trainings. And, you know, I love my entrepreneurial events that they know nothing about supplier diversity. They're like, oh, you do like grants and stuff. I'm like, nope, totally not at all. Not what I do. <laughs> so just, you know, like, cause there are less than 1% of the diverse businesses in the United States are certified. Mm-hmm. There is so much business to be had. And I get calls all the time, especially if you're like in the R&D, in the healthcare industry, if you're in any of those um, type of industries, manufacturing, they are searching for these kind of companies that are diverse owned, qualified, capable, and certified. No, and I think that there's definitely an opportunity, and I think that that'll be a fun. We'll have to have you on, and maybe just uh, on an expert episode, and then and go through a little bit of more. What's the process? What to expect? What are the benefits? Yeah. Why you might consider, and also if, if you're, you know, if you're not there, should you be moving in that direction? So I right. think that those are all fun things to hit on. But for this episode, as we start yeah. to wrap up to the end or to, towards the end of the podcast, we'll jump to, or as we've kind of now gone through your journey and looking a bit into the future. Now we'll jump to the two questions I always ask at the end of each okay. podcast. So the first question I always ask is along your journey, what was the worst business decision you ever made and what did you learn from it? I think not outsourcing like my bookkeeping earlier. That is my biggest business mistake because now, if people ask me all the time, what's your number one advice for other entrepreneurs? I'm like, outsource to experts whenever possible. Whatever you don't need to be involved in, outsource to experts. Because if you don't have time and money to do it once, you for sure don't have time and money to do it twice. So I, you know, doing the bookkeeping thing was, I was like, I wanted to save the money, whatever. But you know what? It took me so much longer. Same with like creating ads or whatever. It might cost me 250 bucks to create an ad, but it would may take me eight hours to make a crappy ad, right? So I can pay 50 bucks if someone do it very well and they do it much quicker because you're not paying for someone's actual time. You're paying for the, their 11 years of expertise, right? No, so and, that and I agree yeah. with you. And I mean, one of the things I had to learn is, you know, I think most entrepreneurs and I absolutely clump myself in there, um, you know, think that, oh, I'm, I'm the smartest person in the room. I can do it the best. You know, if I have to turn it over to somebody else, I'll have to train them anyway. And it's going to take as long, you know, right. whatever the excuses are. And so you always kind of keep things, you know, all to yourself and you think I'll, I can do it all myself. And even if that's true, which I don't think it's ever true that you can do right. everything, but even if it's true, then it, you never get, you, you never get everything that hinders a business. You don't have the growth. And, you know, if you can pay some, even if you can do it better, if you can have somebody that can do it 80% as well as you, you should be focusing your time and attention yes. on the places that you can drive the most value that people can do it at 80% as well. So I think that Absolutely. that's definitely a, a lesson that I had to learn as well. And I think a great thing to learn from. Second question I always ask is if you're talking to somebody that's just getting into a startup or a small business, what'd be the one piece of advice you'd give them? Outsource the experts as soon as you can, because <laughs> as I just said, I think that people, again, it's the same thing with like certification or even like your legal work, right? You could do your own like certain things and some things, yes, are just simple process, whatever, but you know what? You don't want to make a mistake, right? I mean, you want to make sure you get your partnerships agreement, your exit strategies, all those done before there is money involved on the table because everyone's plays nice until there's money on the table, right? Yep. So all those type of things, like make sure you take care of those early on and outsource it to people who know what they're doing. No, and I, I like the one that, you know, even... <laughs> It's always interesting. People are always like, oh, I'll just get the business going. And then, yeah, sometime if it may, or someday if it's worth anything, we'll get all these things cleaned up. And at least, you know, and I'm speaking the bias or perspective, but on the legal side, 
you know, usually when money's involved, it's a lot harder to clean those 100%. up because when it's not worth anything, people are like, oh yeah, you know, whatever yeah. the ownership is or whether the payment is, they're a lot more flexible and reasonable when things are worth money. Then they're saying, no, I, I contribute all these things and I should give them better compensation or have more ownership. And it inevitably with every business creates more conflict. So I definitely absolutely. think that's a great takeaway. No, absolutely. As we wrap up, um, you know, if people want to reach out to you, they want to um, hire you to, you know, be a client, a customer, they want to hire you to help with the diversity training. They want to be an investor. They want to be an employee. They want to be your next best friend. Any or all of the above, what's the best way to reach out, contact you, find out more. So you can always go to certifymycompany.com. Uh, my email is heather at certifymycompany.com. We're on all the socials at certifymyco and you can find us there. That's the best way to reach us is one of those many avenues. <laughs> All right. Well, I definitely encourage people to reach out, contact. I think there's a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, benefit to your service and uh, definitely worthwhile to make that connection. So well, as we wrap up, thank you for giving, or coming on the podcast. Now, for all of, of you that are listeners, if you have your own journey to tell and you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, feel free to go to inventiveguest.com, apply to be on the show. Two more things as listeners. One, make sure to click subscribe in your podcast player so you know when all of our awesome episodes come out. And two, leave us a review so everybody else can find out about all of our awesome episodes. And last but not least, if you ever need help with your patents, trademarks, or anything else with your business, feel free to reach out to us. Just go to strategymeeting.com. We're always here to help. Thank you again, Heather, for coming on the podcast. It's been a yeah. fun. It's been a pleasure. And wish the next leg of your journey even better than the last. Thank you.